Hello and welcome to the Edition Podcast. I'm Charlotte Henry. There's lots of doom and gloom in media, but this week I'm here to cheer you up. I'm joined by Claire Atkinson. She writes the brilliant substack, The Media Mix. She's working on a book about Rupert Murdoch. and She's a contributing editor at The Ankler. So there's plenty for her to contribute. Hey, Claire, thanks for joining me. Hey, Charlotte, great to be with you. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you because, as I say, you, you wear a number of hats and they're all very um, insightful and typical of this kind of age of media. And as I said, if you turned on sort of media news, i.e. news about the media industry these last few weeks, you would think there's been the apocalypse. Everything is broken. Um, no one has a job anymore. And that's about it. And... In fairness, you wouldn't be that unreasonable in coming to that conclusion. The it's amount been of pretty bleak, yeah. It's been really bleak with the major, major media companies laying off really meaningful numbers of people, which is is terrible for the journalism ecosystem. It's terrible for sort of public information and democracy and all those high-minded things we like to think we contribute to as yeah. journalists. Yeah. But we're going to flip that on its head because I don't want to be too miserable. Because I think there's lots of positivity that can come from a re, a reformatted, a rethought media industry. But we have to accept, I think, that the old uh, models are largely gone. Yes, it's not easy to be to eke out a living as a freelancer right now. Um, but as you said, the model is changing, and if you can reinvent yourself and understand what the model is, then you can be okay and you can make a living and you can in some ways do direct-to-reader journalism. You know, we talk a lot about direct-to-consumer streaming and, you know, the Disneys of the world now don't need cable companies to deliver programming to the audience in the same way journalists don't need uh, middlemen to distribute what they want to write about. No. Obviously, that monetization is the key part of all that. Yeah. We, we will come to that. Yeah. But I think the, the thing that strikes me here is, yes, it's hard to make a living as a freelancer, but also there's no, like, the ultimate aim of getting into a newsroom, that could be great. Newsrooms are really fun environments. You meet great people, you get to do great stuff. That still doesn't have the level of security that it once does. No, that's great. I mean, just to take you up on that point, I was talking to uh, somebody at a big cable network and, you know, this person kind of remarked to me that the days of um, feeling like you're part of a culture in a company have really just mm. gone. And the reason being, you know, two things, the work from home uh, yep. thing means you're not seeing your colleagues too often. But there's no real incentive to get your ass back to the office if you feel like um, I might be in the next round of firings. And that's how people in the TV news business really feel right now that, um, you know, they just don't know if they're next. Uh, this TV doesn't news. fit in with our, you know, this is No, no, but we need our, to yeah, lay out the groundwork. So, yeah, you know, exactly. TV news, we've seen LA Times, Time, Vox, I think, has had layoffs. So, all of that's going on. But, yeah. and this is where I wanted to flip it to our sort of positive vibes. Yeah. What is clear in all of that tumult is that there ha nobody has lost their interest in the news. Nobody has lost their interest in consuming media. Yeah. There is no evidence of that. Everywhere, right? I mean, we are glued to our mobile phones. 
from morning, noon and night. And, you know, I, I think I saw a statistic about we're looking at social media more than we're looking at media. Um, people are consuming content and uh, media, whether that's journalism necessarily is uh, debatable. Mm -hmm. But yeah, all those pointers are up, right? People want to connect with the rest of culture, the entertainment culture. People do, and people want information. Like, there, there's no doubt about it. They want, perhaps who they picked as their reliable sources is a whole different issue that we can unpack. Yeah. But people want information. They want good information. They want it quickly. And and there is some evidence people are willing to pay for it at a certain point. I think people have got wise to the fact that just the stuff turned out on social media, some of it's really good mm. and some of it really, really isn't. And yeah. so people want consistent, reliable figures to provide them with information. Now, we used to call those newspapers and news anchors and reporters. But the fundamental relationship between consumer and creator, which we'll get onto that phrase, hasn't really changed, I don't think. Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, people do want to keep reading people they trust. Mm -hmm. And they, in some ways, feel that the mainstream media has fallen into either the right or the left and so people are forced to make a choice when maybe they don't want to and there's gray in the middle um Bari Weiss who was an opinion columnist at yeah. the New York Times went off to set up her own uh empire called the free press yep and she found that there was you know a niche because nobody was really covering third rail topics um and I wrote about this in the media mix and I interviewed Bari and she said, you know, there were stories about transgender kids and transitioning and people pushing back on that, that mainstream media were almost like afraid to do um, because they didn't want uh, to be described as transphobic or they didn't want um, social media to jump on them and call them out. And there were some thorny issues there that are not black and white. And she has covered them from lots of different perspectives and her audience loves her. And, you know, this is what we're talking about. Like you can leave mainstream media and take the audience with you. These people want to read what you have to say because it's something they're not getting in the mainstream media diet. Yeah, she's done, uh, the, the free press has done lots of work on anti-Semitism as well, particularly in the wake of the October 7th attacks. And as you say, carved yeah. out a niche. Yeah. Uh, so another one I'm thinking of is Casey Newton at Platformer. Again, very different type of journalist to Barry Weiss, but carved out a niche, built mm -hmm. a very successful business, hired people. So there are these good news stories. Obviously, one thing I'm very passionate about, which is why we're sitting here, is podcasting. And there was lots of doom and gloom stories about the podcaster advertising market and how that had cooled down after the pandemic and all of that kind of thing. And all of that was true. But one thing these stories didn't bring in, and one the one hope I keep holding on to when I think about podcasting, is how many people don't listen to podcasts yet? How many new listeners there are still to discover your show? And that, I think, is another reason why people creating media should be positive going as we work our way through 2024. There's a lot of undiscovered audience still there for audio content. Yeah, I mean, it's a fast way to get... Uh, uh you know, caught up on your own industry. Um, you know, it's easy to make. Uh, it's not expensive to distribute. 
and you know the moat has really come down it's it's not hard to do a youtube a podcast yep. uh, and monetize that um you know there are so many ways to be entrepreneurial yeah but let, let's not it's not easy claire you and i work very very hard and we're highly skilled and people should who want to sponsor should that should be reflected in their sponsorships That's obviously obviously yes. highly skilled <laughs> very difficult but no we're joking, but the barriers to entry with all sorts of platforms are low. And that's, you know, I would say another positive. But the truth is, we do have to hark back to these traditional forms of media as well. Because while you and I think there's loads of great opportunities and we will come back to them, there's no doubt that the institutions that people have relied on mm. for a long time do seem to be in a crisis. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the obvious reason why is uh, the platforms. Uh, and we saw the sizable jumps of ad revenue at Meta and Google. The numbers are, I mean, they already take such a huge percentage of the pie and to be able to leap up, I don't know, 25% plus in terms of the ad budgets they're booking. What I heard is Google is telling ad buyers, just give us everything you've got and we'll find a place to put it. We'll find a way for you to connect to audiences. That's all bad news for the media industry, for journalism. You've got cookies going away that helped advertisers understand who you are. Now they can't target you anymore. So they're looking for other ways to, to find you. And that's more often than not at kind of an Amazon search box or a place where you're about to, to shop whether that is, you know, walmart.com or it's, uh, you know, you're about to order your Uber and then you're going to order some takeout and something else from Uber. Um, all of these places are draining away the ad revenue that used to go to television and, uh, you know, digital online news venues. So, and before that print, and print, you know, newspapers. But one thing I love when I come to Britain and, and Europe is seeing how the newsstands are still very much full of newspaper choice. You yep. go around in, in New York, it's very difficult to find a newspaper on a newsstand. Uh, they just sell cigarettes and candies and you go to train stations and there's no newspapers there anymore. It's really just magazines and books. So print is disappearing. I guess in the next 12 months, we might see some big names decide there's no point doing the paper version anymore. It's just too costly. Uh, so that's something that I'm watching for this year. Um, you know, it's an election year in the States. There's going to be a lot of political ad dollars spent. They're all spent with local stations. Um, you know, that expresses itself. You know, the more ad revenue in the system, the better it is for ultimately for reporters. But the, the, the new year is not off to a great start in terms of, you know, what these companies are projecting they're going to bring in in 24. And that's the reason for all these cutbacks right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, but of course, again, I'm trying to stay positive, but, um, when you think, say you're, it's an election year in both the UK and the US. Now the styles of election are somewhat different, but they both put a huge amount of emphasis on the media, um, and mean that news outlets have to produce a lot of work. Like it, I, I've covered a general election at a newspaper. You have to, it's it's a tough old slog. You have to get really stuck in for 
a much longer period of time than people think. It's not just the few weeks of a short campaign. And in America, it's blooming year. I mean, it is. It's exactly <laughs> a year long cycle, the campaign trail. Yeah. Which is part of a four year long. Anyway, we could discuss yeah. that off air how crazy the American election cycle is. Yeah, but, that's another podcast. Yeah. But it takes a huge, that gives something for traditional news outlets to hold on to and it also gives them a chance to prove themselves again to audiences because I think there was huge amounts of criticism and I think rightly so 2016 2020 in a different way about coverage of the elections I, I think you could probably find that of both the US and the UK actually uh, people totally here totally misunderstood what was happening in the so-called red wall with Boris Johnson um, you know newspapers didn't pick up on that anywhere near as they should have and obviously the Trump stories were missed at both ends, both ways around in 2016 and 2020. These elections give news outlets a chance to prove themselves again, I think, yeah, and yeah. prove their value I mean, to consumers. They do, but I, th I think the way that we're consuming news is so different now, and mm -hmm. I think it enables you to expose yourself in some ways to a lot of different choice about opinion. I mean, I'm on X. Uh, X has kind of changed its stripes. It used to be run by Jack Dorsey. It was very full of, you know, people in my bubble. Uh, yep. Journalists tend to be liberal. Now I'm exposed to, I would say, a lot more variety of political opinion and some other stuff that I really uh, don't endorse whatsoever. Um, but I'm not just on X. I'm on threads. I'm on Instagram. Mm. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on YouTube. I'm on Facebook. I mean, I can go on and on. I'm in a lot of different places. And so, you know, the algos are pushing different things to me. I don't know how they decide what, what I'm interested <laughs> in. But, you know, I think if you're a curious person, you are selecting, you're watching Fox News, you're watching MSNBC, you're watching CNN, and you're trying to piece together the truth uh, from all those different outlets. Um, yeah, you obviously picked two quite partisan outlets there in the US. Obviously, our setup here in the UK is different, as you know. Yeah. TV news is not really meant to be partisan, whereas newspapers have a lot more free reign. Um, it's a very, it's just, it's the, I was made this point, but it's the, sort of the direct opposite of how it works in the US where, um, so that's all kind of interesting, but your point about fracturing is important because as I say, I do think these elections give traditional outlets a chance to prove their value again and for journalists to prove their value again. I think that's great. I think that's important. And I hope that those opportunities are seized. But of course, it also gives, uh, I was going to say creators of all types, but journalists, people wanting to cover the elections, a chance to produce things and prove themselves as well. And it doesn't, you know, we've got the big institutions, but they're not the only place to get crucial information and, you know, that is fundamental to democracy. And that I also think is quite an exciting opportunity. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously my perspective is US because I'm here in of the course. US. Um, when I come home, I'm always in awe of the great journalism in Britain. Um, you know, I'm glued to Sky News, which I love, the BBC. My parents really enjoy Al Jazeera also um, for just kind of a different filter on everything. Um, and, you know, I find the journalism very penetrating. They do hold people to people in power to to uh, to book. And 
I, I find the journalism forceful. I'm really kind of sad about uh, Newsnight being squeezed a little bit. Um, uh, yeah. Not a little bit. It's uh... yeah, I think that's that's very sad because I think that's a great show. Um, you know, but in comparison, um, you know, there's so much horse race journalism, right. which I think doesn't really serve people. The, the the who's up, who's down kind of sports journalism of politics yeah. is, uh, you know, doesn't deliver on what citizens need to know about their democracies. We need to be hearing more about what politicians stand for, how they're different. I think you're kind of left uh, feeling like you have to go off and figure that out yourself. Um, you know, I'd like to mention that Joe Biden, typically Super Bowl is coming up. When you're the president, you're invited to come and speak to uh, the network that hosts the Super Bowl and uh, you do an interview and President Biden this time decided he didn't want to do it. Uh, you know, that's an audience of the Super Bowl gets 100 million viewers. Uh, it's an opportunity to speak to the nation about whatever you want to talk about. And Joe Biden passed. Um, a very, that's kind of fascinating. It's a very curious decision, but he has been doing uh, outreach to TikTok uh, influencers mm. and, you know, the social media folks. And, um, you know, it's a it's an interesting decision to go a different route. It opened- I have to say, I, I'd missed that he wasn't going to do that interview. I'm kind of shocked about it, actually, because you would just thought it was a yeah. kind of standard written into the calendar yes. thing that you know you're going to do. Fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and again, not a ringing endorsement of traditional media, but a huge endorsement of new media absolutely yeah there was actually uh i think it was last year a skit on snl which mm-hmm. is like a comedy program and it was the white house inviting all the tiktokers to yeah. talk about policy and they made a skit about you know the dances they do and the key phrases they do uh and it was quite amusing but um you know just to kind of circle back to our conversation about reasons to be cheerful about the media you know these young people these uh folks who are making the creator economy work for themselves are kind of showing everybody uh, everybody that they can be a, a creator i went to the hair salon last weekend my hairdresser took video of herself <laughs> cutting my hair and then she said go on my instagram i want to be a creator and there she was in a photo shoot of herself um you know in black and white looking beautiful and I thought wow people really do want to brand themselves and market the tiniest of things um and everybody you know everyone's trying to partake in this creator economy and you know in some ways it's it's kind of amazing and in other ways it's horrifying yeah Uh, let's turn into that because this is an idea I've touched on before um not your hairdresser but (laughs) um this idea of journalists becoming creators because I think that's both really important and a very uh, exciting opportunity. Now, I'm not a creator. I don't think of myself in the, what we think of as that influencer kind of creator doing skits or, you know, that kind of thing. But, by you know, I use a lot of the same platforms for them to do my what we might call journalism and analysis. So posting videos on TikTok about, I think I did an ad, one about the Amazon ads. You know, I'm just thinking of, and try and post on you. Know, I post on those platforms consistently, but I'm not in any way the kind of traditional creator that you would think of. Well, no one cares, for example, about what I'm wearing when I get dressed in the morning or any of those things. Right, right. But 
I would like to think they care about the stories I'm reporting on and the information I'm finding out and the analysis I have. And I think journalism is, there's really exciting opportunities for journalists to produce work in that way. I, I think the big warning of that was something I've touched on before. I'm kind of increasingly obsessed by is mm -hmm. owning your work in the sense yeah. that if TikTok gets shut down, yes, you don't only want to be on TikTok. Yeah. If Substack has a problem, you don't only want to be on Substack. I'm yeah. picking two platforms that I know, but so those things are really important, but I've seen journalists doing great work. Um, using what we call like the creator platforms to do really exciting, interesting journalism. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you make a good point about owning your own work and making sure you uh, have access to it and can still share it after, you know, your employer decides to, as, as happened last week with the messenger, uh, it was a new startup backed by somebody who had a, a good track record. He owned The Hill, which is a, a big uh, Washington outlet. The Messenger folded unexpectedly. The journalist about uh, it in the New York Times. I and don't think that, it, the, I've written a newsletter on this. I don't think The Messenger folding was in any way unexpected. Well, the day that it happened, I think was unexpected. Okay. Um, the fact that it didn't survive for very long, I don't yes. think is a surprise. That's very true. Um, but Badly. what happened was they closed down the website and, you know, everybody couldn't access their clips. And when you want to go to another employer, you want to show them what you did. And so I think they've found a way to to help them out. But, you know, that's a consideration. I, I pay a service to suck my clips from wherever I'm writing so that I've got a single place where I can mm -hmm. see them all. But it is a reminder to to just PDF all your work and keep it for yourself because someday you may not have access to it. Um, well, there's certainly that, and there's also that you know, if you produce work for other people, which you and I both do very happily, you don't own that. Correct. Yes, you can get a PDF or a screenshot to show a future employer, but there is something very powerful now for journalists about owning their work which has never really been the case yeah you're a work for hire right when you when you do journalism um but i you know but now you don't have to be yeah i mean you know i talked to amy odell who is a sub stacker she used to blog about the fashion world she wrote a book about anna wintour she runs her own sub stack called the back row and it's a very fun read about fashion mm -hmm. and i love what she does she's on instagram she, you know, does a video about the Grammy fashion, for instance, yep. uh, whatever is in the news. And she's told me she's, I don't think she'd mind me sharing this. She's making a living that replaces whatever she would be able to scratch together from a freelance gig. Right. So, you know, this, this kind of newsletter world, this creator economy world is enabling people to say, okay, People want to read what I what my expertise is all about. I've created an audience at these five publications I used to work at. Now I'm going to try to capitalize on it and grow it. And I think, you know, this is an age where you can. So that that's, I think, really good news. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to sell people this idea that everyone can do this. You have to really have a specialism that people care about, whether it is sports or fashion or whatever, and be offering something that isn't out there or a kind of a take that people find super interesting. Um, I follow a guy on on X uh, called Derek Guy, and he does he critiques men's fashion. 
Um, I'm not particularly interested in men's fashion, but the way this guy does it is entertaining. I learned things about tailoring. Um, he has a huge, huge following. And I just think if you can do it right, you can create an audience, you can monetize it, and you can kind of free yourself from the shackles of big media. Yes, but what I, I agree with you entirely. I love those type of creators. I subscribe to them. I happy to hand over subscription dollars to some of them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I love all of that. And I think it's a really exciting part of the media, but people, you know, come on the opposite end of the spectrum and say, yeah, but what about hard news? That really costs money. Yes, it does. It really does. Um, and, you know, yeah. it's all very well having a Substack about beauty. And I, to be honest, I think in that kind of space, the endorsements of individuals is really quite powerful. Mm-hmm. But who's going to report on, you know, local councils, local mm. congresses, uh, what your congressman is doing, what your local MP is doing. And that stuff also really matters. Now, we don't need to repeat the whole uh, discussion about the death of local media. What we're seeing in some places is, you know, substacks and similar products coming up to you know replicate this is the manchester mill is one that's often referenced here yeah seen so that. That, yeah that. do really great good. work and some of so some of that stuff is coming up and i, I think what neither of you you or i are saying is that we want the times the washington post the sun whatever to collapse because it can all be replaced by individual or small small collections of writers and journalists because I don't believe that is the future that can happen. Mm -hmm. But what I do think is exciting is that there can be a growing diversity. And I think it's the big boys that need to sort of react and reflect that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the other thing that's happening is, uh, at least in the States, is, you know, Business Insider, where I used to work, are syndicating what Substackers are doing. And so there's lots of ways to kind of, dice the apple so that you know you're running your own show but big media is also giving you an audience uh i know plenty of substackers that are doing really incredible investigative journalism absolutely uh you know leave... and people do want to give pay their money to give their yeah. money to that they do um now that isn't an infinite there isn't an infinite pool of subscribers just like there isn't an infinite pool of ad dollars Yes. But people are prepared to put their money in back things like that if you're doing it well. Yes. I mean, to your point about like what, what's happening with local newspapers, I mean, I think these are they're really good questions here about um, you know, what is the what is the how do you get to a big paper if you didn't get any experience on a little paper? Mm -hmm. You know, the training of journalists, how does that now happen if the if we're losing those little uh outlets where people start. And I started my career on my local newspaper. And, you know, I did crazy stories about uh, thefts from the supermarket. And I would list all the prices of the cheese that the, the people had stolen. I mean, it was Go kind on, of- name that publication. Uh, it was called the Southport Visitor. Nice. I don't think it exists anymore. It was no, in Manchester. Um, but, you know, I guess the question is like in the States is who wants to read about that local council meeting? And I think the answer is very, very few people. So you have to make, you have to give people a reason to read that kind of stuff um, and package it in a way that makes it um, 
accessible and I hate to use the word entertaining, but, uh, you know, it's got to be readable. Like, you know, I would see the local newspaper thrown in my lobby. Did I ever pick it up? Rarely, mostly because it was boring. Um, and yeah. so, you know, we've seen these online blogs, uh, you know, come and write about different neighborhoods and, and uh, they're able to monetize them. But I do think you, you raise a really good point in that who is going to monetize the difficult media, the media that has a small audience, but is really important. And how is that going to get funded? Um, and I think, you know, what we're seeing in, in, in the US is the Washington Post is owned by a billionaire and they had to lay a bunch of people off. Still and had to, yeah. They're owned by Jeff Bezos and they still had to lay owned, people yeah, off. Yeah, a billionaire. And uh, LA Times, same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's owned by Patrick Soonshong. He's a multi-billionaire and they still can't uh, find a way to fund news. So it feels like it's a perennial question that doesn't have an answer it feels like that problem's only going to get worse than better um you just have to hope i guess that there are people so committed to exposing wrongdoing that we can still find this stuff somewhere yeah and i guess at this point we have to give the uh standard example of the new york times and how well that has kept the show on the road yes i mean it's probably worth mentioning that a lot of the uh Obviously, they produce an incredible news product that is well worth paying for, but there's also cookery and yeah. uh, crosswords, and a lot of people subscribe for that. Kind of like, you know, the old days of the newspaper where you'd buy it for the crossword or you'd buy it for other reasons than just getting the news. And yeah, but that's a, make it sticky, right? They make a, you want to go there. Exactly. It's a great model. Oh, I want to play Wordle and Connections, but that also means you can fund a great big scoop on the front of the New York Times great yeah um yeah and that i think is also what people are gonna you know obviously they did one controversial thing with the new york times obviously they subsumed their sports coverage into the athletic um but yes as a general rule it's a subscription product they make give you variety in that subscription but of course and i think this is sort of why i want to wrap up the conversation actually because to me the future of the news seems to be you have to be a pretty established brand with the capacity to offer a lot for a subscription price and yeah. hope that you, that's also back, backed up with ad dollars or you have to be really niche. Yeah. Oh, that to me isn't being covered. Like I think there's plenty of holes here. Everybody is covering Washington. It's the most overcovered topic mm-hmm. in, in uh, American media, but what they're covering is the same stuff all the time. Um, when I was at Business Insider, my colleague in Washington did a story about stock trades and how um, people in government were allowed to buy and trade stocks, and you know, with that, with you know, virtually no checks on what they do, it would have been considered insider trading if you worked on Wall Street. Um, and it was a very original, new story, uh, and you can hardly believe that nobody'd done it before, but they hadn't. And so I think the key to survival is to see the story that nobody else is seeing or nobody else Mm. is covering. And I think business in Washington is a hugely undercovered story that I hope, you know, with the Washington Post's new um, CEO, Will Lewis, I hope that's, you know, a a place they go. Like, what are companies doing in Washington? I'd like to 
who's lobbying who i'd like to know yeah again there are some great publications that have come out that just covering congress for example i think there are opportunities here in the uk um to really go in depth of what's happening in local government i don't know but again who would put the money into that because there's certainly stories to be told mm -hmm. and we should you know think of just recently uh mr bates versus the post office how what a big deal that was but it started in computer weekly oh it good starts, yeah year, 20 years ago whatever it was they were the first ones that got stuck into the problems of the horizon system um, and if that doesn't underline the value and potential of specialist outlets i, I don't know what does uh, it's been such fun talking to you claire i'm glad we've managed to end on a positive thing we'll wrap it up actually yeah by talking about award ceremonies because that's actually another sort of pocket pop, yes it's another bit of good news that's happened recently is we're suddenly seeing people getting all interested in uh in these award ceremonies which of course means some of the advertising gets blown back into it um so there was a 34 percent increase in the grammys it got 16.9 million viewers, according to Variety, which is huge. If you could look at some of the others, last year they ticked up. It will be interesting to see things like the Oscars and whatever, if they can keep this trend going. Mm. But, and, you know, some of this is in streaming. So, you know, Paramount Plus got its highest Grammys viewership ever, apparently. It's 173% up the streaming from 2023, which is huge amounts. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at sport, as I always do. Um NBC said that Arsenal versus Liverpool, which was just the weekend before we record this show, uh, got 1.15 million viewers on its across its English and Spanish language platforms on Peacock. These are huge, meaningful numbers. The idea that people don't want to consume stuff or pay money to consume stuff is just not true. Yes. I mean, um, the Grammy numbers are astounding. Yeah you know, very heartening. I do feel like it was a show where I actually knew who the people were. Like I watch it every year and most years I'm like, who is that again? But there was, you know, obviously Taylor Swift is a huge, huge draw. She's uh, a yes. like engine. You just, you know, there's so many stories about Taylor Swift and it's because of the SEO, right? People want to click on those two words. And so Taylor Swift, Grammys, yes. Uh, Miley Cyrus, Beyonce, Travis, Kelsey, yeah, yeah. There was a lot. There was a lot of good big names. Um, so I think that helps with ratings. Um, Super Bowl's coming up. Uh, we'll see what that does. Um, people, oh, I think it's going to be big. I'm prepared to put num like some money on here that it's going to be ridiculous numbers. Yes, I would imagine it's going to be big. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think you know the other the other side of things is we're seeing the traditional viewing decline but on the other side we're seeing streaming now starting to feel like it's getting some scale uh people are finding their shows that they know where they are um getting there still quite fractured it's a very fractured landscape but i think people are kind of understanding like how to watch something on peacock it's uh yeah. maybe becoming more habit but uh, yeah good news i mean Obviously, the movie industry has not had a good 12 months. <laughs> uh, I would kind of challenge most people to say, name a third Hollywood movie besides Barbie and Oppenheimer that that um, that you've seen in the last 12 months. Uh, and I think 
you know, we saw another $200 million bomb this weekend, I think from, from Apple. Um, and yes. so, yeah, like what's going to happen to the movies? Uh, you know, having said that, that those are two big movies people have heard of and the in contention for the awards. And so hopefully that's a draw the storyline about Margot Robbie being shut out of the, um, best actress contender yes. that makes people click on it and watch um you know but I do, I do think there's a lot to be said for just uh people understanding how they find something and the user interface being easy yeah to totally and I think all that stuff is improving so anyway we're concluding by saying media is like, media is hard but there's still ways to do it there's still ways to do it well and you might even get paid for it once in a while. Claire, so thank you so much for joining me. Remind people where they can keep up with you. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Charlotte. It's always good to throw things around with you. Um, I am at themediamix.substack.com. You can also read me in a Hollywood publication called The Ankler, where I'm a contributing editor. And I am deep in the midst of a book about Rupert Murdoch. So... Well, I look forward to reading all those things, but I read most of those things already and I look forward to reading the book. Um, I'm at Charlotte A. Henry across social media. Head over to theedition.net where you can read blog posts, sign up for the newsletter uh, and all that kind of thing. And I look forward to seeing you all again next week. Mm -hmm.